0: Amen. Church, go ahead and take a seat and bow your head with me. Man, I love that song. It's good to say, I like the songs that sing about the greatness of God, not those other wimpy ones. Um, (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is worth being magnified. Father, you are holy. You are majestic. Father, you are the thing that matters beyond everything. And so, Lord, we do worship you this morning. We acknowledge that, Lord, you are you're worthy of our worship, of our service, of our love, of our devotion, and, uh, and we honor you. And now, Lord, as we dig into this new series, Father, I pray you would prepare some of us, Lord, to be able to share our faith in ways that are helpful, And Lord, for some of us who are exploring faith and we're deciding what we believe and we're trying to figure it out, I pray your spirit would open our eyes to see the truth of who you are and to see the relevance and the power of your reality in our life. So help us in all this, bless us in all this, and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you, church. Uh, Today's gonna be a fun day today. We've got uh, some donuts and cider and stuff like that after service for you. So, you know, if the sermon's not any good, you got that to look forward to. Um, All right, calm down there. That was a little too much of a response, um, as if you're anticipating that. Uh, But we also are having a ministry fair in the pavilion. So, if you're, you know, wanna serve, and you're looking to get connected, you're gonna you know, get a chance to see all the different ministries that we have, and, uh, and you can sign up to serve. And I, I really believe that serving is one of the primary ways that we grow in our relationship with God. So if you're at that point where you've been receiving for a while, you've been kind of coming, you know, maybe that's the next step for you, uh, is to serve, because you're gonna grow but you're also gonna build relationships with others and it's gonna be a really healthy thing. So you can check out the ministries, you can talk to people uh, that lead them, get a feel for what that looks like um, and make sure to, to stop out at the pavilion after service. So, and today we are beginning a brand new sermon series. So as Tina and Jovan said, we're, we're starting this Mere Christianity Uh, series. And there was a a book that was written by C.S. Lewis by that title. And we're kind of stealing some ideas from it. Um, But if you would like a copy of the book, I'm going to reference it from time to time. But if you'd like a copy, we've got discounted copies in the back for 10 bucks. When they run out, I'll be selling them out of my trunk for 12. So first come, you know, got to make a living. Uh, Giovanni <laughs> will probably be 15. So, you know, just, uh, but no, we got some books. So if you want it, they're just a little bit cheaper than, you know, you can get them on Amazon or other places. But it, it's a really great read. And the story behind Mere Christianity is about a man named C.S. Lewis and C.S. Lewis was born in England, and he was an academic his whole life. And growing up, he uh, did not have faith. He was a self-proclaimed atheist. And then things happened in his life. He had a lot of difficulty, a lot of painful experiences, um, a lot of ups and downs, and eventually, he became a Christian. And he called himself the most reluctant convert in the world. Because there there was part of him that that just resisted it so much, but it got to the point where he could resist it no longer. And he just had to acknowledge it was true. And he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is that after that, he began to, to write and to do other things. And he kind of became... A voice in the world for Christianity. Now what, what's interesting about it is he was not a professional theologian. His, his job was the um, renaissance and medieval uh, chair of uh, modeling college. That was, his, that was his job. So renaissance and medieval literature, he was the chair of modeling college. So, so he taught those subjects, whatever those might include. I don't know how much medieval and Renaissance literature you've been reading uh, my you know I've been occupied with other stuff uh, but but that that was his so he was kind of an interesting person to have this global voice and so during nineteen forty one Great Britain was being attacked by you know the the German army. they were being bombed. it was this crazy chaotic place, and the BBC approached Lewis and they said, hey, we want to give you some time on the radio and we're going to broadcast this to the nation. And think about this. I mean, people are literally being bombed nightly, right? In London and in the, like, this is just the most crazy time you could imagine. You know, Britain is literally all in this sort of wartime survival mentality. And so they said, hey, we want you to get we think it might be helpful to our country to maybe have a little hope and stuff like that. So we want to give you the microphone, and we want you to explain Christianity. How would you like that task? You got, you got the cat. How would you like someone to say, hey, here's a microphone. Uh, all of the United States is going to tune in at 7 p.m. <laughs> Tell them who God is, right? You're going to pass out. You're, you're going to run and hide in the, in the corner, whatever. And that, that's what C.S. Lewis was tasked with. And that became, those lectures became mere Christianity. And they became one of the, the most um, helpful explanations of Christianity. And to this day, those ideas, those concepts have, have continued to be helpful today. And so what we're doing in this series is I want to I kind of, as a church, say, hey, what would we do? How would we explain? Because he did this in the 40s, right? The world has changed in a lot of ways since the 40s. In some ways, though, it hasn't changed much at all. But regardless, how, how, would, we, how would we share with our world the basics in in a clear and a helpful way. How would we share what Christianity is all about, what what it means, and really why you should believe it? And so the reason I want to do this series is really twofold. Number one, as a follower of Christ, I just want to help you have more tools in your tool belt to talk about faith. I believe as Christians, sometimes we are really intimidated to do it. And the reason we're intimidated is because we, we don't feel like we have the tools that we need to do it well. We don't feel like we can maybe, you know, have the conversations in helpful ways. So I want to hopefully through this build your confidence to share what you know and love about Jesus Christ with others. And then here's the second reason. For some of us who are really exploring, we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to understand what who God is and what He means in our life. I, I want to give you some things to think about and some things to process because we want to be a church where you can explore your faith, right I, I want people in our church that are trying to figure it out, maybe you're tuning in online and you're you know you're you're open, but you just don't know where you're at and uh, and so I, I hope this will be be helpful to you. Now, C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He says, Of course, I quite agree that the Christian religion is in the long run a thing of unspeakable comfort. But it does not begin in comfort. It begins in dismay. In religion as in war and, and everything else, comfort is the one thing you cannot get by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. And that's what this series is about. We want to look for truth, because all truth is God's truth at the end of the day. If you're a follower of Jesus, you do not need to be afraid of any hard question. You do not need to be afraid of the things that that you don't know. Look, if you pursue truth, guess what I believe? It always ends up with God, because all truth is God's truth. Now, sometimes you have to be willing to embrace an uncomfortable journey, though. Did you hear that? A lot of times, and, and if you're not a father Jesus, you're trying to explore it. Here's the reality. Believing that there's a God is very uncomfortable. Because guess what that means? You're accountable to someone else. Right? It's a big change. Can we be honest? Even as a Christian, that's uncomfortable. Right? Because I've got to wake up every day and not say, hey, what do I want? But I have to say, God, what do you want? And honestly, a lot of days I don't like to do that. Cause I got plans and dreams and things to do. And I'm not sure the Lord's aligned with me on that. You with me? But that, but if God's real, it changes a lot of things, doesn't it? And, and so we're not pursuing comfort here, right? If my beliefs aren't true, then I don't want them. If they're, if they're not real, then they're not really helpful. So we want to be in the pursuit of truth. Now today, man, and, and if you know me, there is so much I want to talk about today. And and I had like I had about eight sermons when I started this week. I think I'm down to like three today. So I, I, I made some progress. But but I wanna I wanna just attack one aspect of this today because I know there there's so much we could talk about um but but we cannot talk about everything. But I do want to just kind of address this idea of because I see it so many times, what is, has, is Christianity outdated? Has, has all that we know about science, all that, that we, we've learned over, you know, the last couple hundred years, has all of this really undercut the reality of Christianity? Uh, because so many times I know people carry in their minds and in their hearts that, that there is this, this big conflict between science and Christianity, and you have to choose one. And so sometimes we're like, all right, well, we, we believe in God, so we're going we're gonna to choose that, and then we're going to kind of have our head in the sand about the world of science. And honestly, to a lot of people outside of faith, that looks like a, an easy way out. And that distances people from faith. Or sometimes we feel like, well, I am, you know, a science-oriented person, a rational-oriented person, and so I'm going to live in this world, and then that means that I could never enter the world of faith. And what I'm going to say for sure is that that's a complete false dichotomy that doesn't have to exist. And today I want to look at the scripture that I think so many times it is the, probably one of the, the most talked about scriptures, uh, the, the one that's most debated that, that a lot of this issue centers on. We're going to look at the origin story. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. And I want to talk about that and say, what, what is that saying to us today? How does, that, how does that relate to the world that we know and live in today? How does that connect with things like evolution and the age of the earth and stuff? I'm going to be a little nerdy today. Will you permit that? You know I'm a nerd, guys, all right? Can we just not act like that? All right, calm down again. Um, <laughs> but, but I want to dig into this, to some of this, And because here's the deal. if Maybe some of you, if you're in high school, if you're in college, man, your faith at times can get blasted on this topic. When I went to college, I had professors that acted like I was an idiot because I was a Christian. And, and I think that that wasn't fair. And sometimes people go through these experiences in life, and, and it really hurts their faith. Um, so anyway, so I want to give you some tools, some ways to think about it, and we're going to dig into Genesis 1 today. So I'm going to read most of it. I, I wanted to read all of chapter 1 to you, but again, I only got 18 minutes left. So here we go. <laughs> Um, In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is, Genesis, this is a, you open the Bible, this is where we're at today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The earth was without form and void. Now, isn't that a weird way to say it? Um, The earth, so it's like there's something there, right? The Earth, because he's naming it, was without form and void. Some would say a better translation is that the earth was without function. Form and void is, is, is it's a translation. But some would say a better translation would be it's without function. And darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So we have God and then we have some things that are there that we don't really know what they are but they're not really doing anything, and the Spirit of God's hovering. And then God said, He spoke, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Now that phrase, you can underline it if you have a a copy of the scriptures. You can highlight it. The light was good. You're going to see that this is a refrain throughout Genesis chapter 1. Now everyone would say Genesis chapter 1, it's either a song or a poem. There's an artistry to it. Right? We want to open up Genesis 1 like you open up a science textbook. Like, okay, where does this all begin? All right, tell me about this. But that's not how we're meant to read it. This is poetic. There's a style to it. There's an artistry to it. It's not just, you know, like we're kind of opening this, this cold, hard book of, of facts, but, but we have to read it as such. And you're going to see that this is one of the, the choruses or the refrains. It was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. So let's make some land. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse as it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. So I'm sorry, he's creating kind of our sense of sky here. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, "Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear." Now here's land, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw it was good. You see the pattern here? Does something happens in a day? It was good. God said, "Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruits bearing uh, trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, and according to its kind on the earth." And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation; plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit in which is their seed. Each according to it got, it got so good. <laughs> and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. You with me? Um, <laughs> all right. Now skip with me to chapter two. Now you you can you can read the rest, um, and and there's more things that are created. But then chapter two. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. And this is why Christians practice Sabbath. So we're that idea. God God rested on that final day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, today, I want to just share kind of five observations about this text. And I want you to think about them. Again, this is, I'm digging into like one of the most controversial texts in the Bible, so feel free to disagree, to, to think about it on your own, but I just want to give you some ideas to process and to pray about. Number one, what do we learn about this? What, what is the point? And, and as I ask that question today, I want to ask it from this standpoint, because this is how we should approach the Bible. Not what does it mean to us today. Okay, That's not where we want to begin. This was written a very long time ago in a certain culture in a certain place. So as we begin to understand the meaning of it, we want to try as best we can to go back to that culture and that place to understand it, right? Because words, context is everything, right? You can say one thing to your buddy, but if you try to say that to your wife, it might get you killed. You with me? Context is everything. Who you're talking to, right? All of this, this matters. And this matters tremendously as we try to understand the Bible. And one of the biggest things that, that we do to the Bible is we take it out of context. Right? I've heard, I've heard crazy, I've heard white supremacists talk about the Bible out of context and completely abuse it. Right? They're, they're, it happens all the time. And so what we want to try and do is understand it in the context. Now, what, did this, what does this mean? Well, first, I think there's a very obvious thing that the author is saying is that God is the creator of everything. So that, and that's something that is foundational to Christian belief, right? We believe God is the creator of everything. We Christians believe you are not this random chance. You are not some primordial goo that became this beautiful creature that you are today over the 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 course of billions of years right No, i mean maybe that was the process but ultimately god is the creator of everything and so christians look kind of at the world as like a layer cake imagine several layers and when we look at the first couple layers that's kind of the world of science right when i when i can look at cells and see things in a microscope i'm just looking at the couple layers but but as you go deeper eventually Everything, its cause is ultimately God, right? And I might not be able to know that on the first couple layers. You with me? Because this is really not so much a question of science as it is a question of theology or metaphysics or whatever you want to call it. And so what Christians believe is, hey, look, all of this stuff that we can see, we can observe, we can touch it, it is what it is. But but at the end of the day, what I'm telling you is God is the cause of all things. You with me on this? And this is what Genesis is showing. Hey, God is, by and large, he is the cause of all things. Now, let me give you another idea. This word create. See, I had a lot of time on my hands this week. And I saw every place in the Old Testament that this word is used. And here's something that I found fascinating. This word create. See, when you think of create, you think of kind of bringing something out of nothing, right? That's kind of how I think about it, right? You give me a pile of wood, I'm gonna build you a shelf or a deck. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Do we got any Christians in the audience today here? Yeah. <laughs> You give, me, you give me a bunch of metal, I'm going to weld you something. Cool. Where's my buddy Ray at? Can I get a name it? There he is. Yeah. Ray knows it's true. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, no, I can't lie. In <laughs> um, we, we tend to think about creation as that, right? And so when we see this idea of, of creation in this Genesis account, I think that's where we go. But, but here's what the word actually is used. It means to bring function. It means to bring purpose, right? So in this sense, creation is is not primarily about just kind of making things that don't exist and then then them being there, although that could be part of it, but but it's more about this idea that, that there's function. God is the one who brings function to everything. God is the one that brings purpose to everything. God is the one that that makes things work and has designed how things should work and has established things to work as they should. You with me on that? And and so he brings function and order. Uh-oh. You 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 messing me up here. Um, so Here's what a great Old Testament scholar says. He says, so on day one, God created the basis for time. Day two, the basis for weather. Day three, the basis for food. These three great functions, time, weather, food, are the foundations of life. And then if you read the rest of the accounts, when you read it through that, I would say it seems to make a lot more sense to me. Now again, this is a debate, thing for debate. So you can read a lot of different thoughts on this. But, but just if this is true, it, it's a very interesting way to think about it. That What the author has primarily shown us is how God has brought function and order to the world. And so what that would mean then is that this account is not primarily about how the material world came into being. Now, here's why this is important, I think, in our world today. It's because sometimes, as Christians, we value God's Word. And we're like, we believe God's Word is true. And we do. And so what happens then is we say, well, how do we, how do we deal with what we know about the known universe, what science has told us, and what we see in the book of Genesis? And so sometimes we try to try to bring these two paradigms together. And so we try to like have, you know, this Christian version of science where we're trying to make it work in Genesis 1, because, because we can only understand create as making something material, or we reject it entirely and say, "Well, this isn't true because this isn't consistent with, with what we know." And, and we're kind of put in these corners. You with me on this? Here's what some people would argue. That, you know what, that's not what it's talking about. That however the world was created, the process that that, that we know, that's not what Genesis is really speaking to. What it's ultimately speaking to is that God is the one who brings function. God is the one who brings order. God is is the one who, without God, nothing functions. It's actually saying something I think that's even deeper and more profound something that I think is even possibly more helpful. And, and maybe some, sometimes we, we get lost and we miss a forest for the trees. One author says this. And you can think about this. He said that actually, and I do not have time to explain all this, but he says, sorry, that's not helpful, is it? He says Genesis, Genesis 1, he said that ultimately it follows some of these ancient Near Eastern texts. So this is when it, you know, is written in this context, ancient Near Eastern text, which we have other texts that we can kind of compare and help us to understand how things were written and how words were used and that sort of thing. But he says that ultimately, what it really is a picture of, Genesis chapter one, is this idea that the, these seven days are like God's inauguration as the cosmic king. And that when God rests, it's not because no one believes God rests because he's like, man, I'm exhausted. Like, whoo, man, these, these, this earth thing's really killing me right now, you know? That, that, no one believes that's what the idea is, right? Because if you're God, you have infinite energy, infinite capability. That seems to kind of be, uh, by definition, something of who, who God is. But, but what some would argue is, is that the rest means that God is in control. That God's like, all right, I'm at headquarters now. Everything's functioning as I I want it to be, and now I'm behind the wheel. And so it's it's a picture of a God who is not so distant from his creation that he doesn't care and he's unhelpful and he's like, hey, I created it. Now don't mess it up, but I know you're going to. Like, it's not that. And it's not a God who is so close to his creation that he's part of it. You know, like some of the poets have said, Walt Whitman and others, that God's in every blade of grass and this and that. Well, no, he's not. Part of creation he's separate from it but he's not distant he's in control i thought that was interesting here's number five mankind (laughs) i'm running out of time mankind is created in the image of god and with nobility and purpose see one thing genesis makes clear you and i are made in god's image what does that mean god looks like us God's balding? What does it mean? Which, which image? Does he have a full? <laughs> um, well, no, it's not a physical attribute, right? And here's what's so fascinating about this text. This text is unbelievable. That God makes, makes man in his image. And so many times when you read other creation stories of other religions at this time, you will see that so often mankind is made, but they're made to serve the gods in some way right in genesis mankind is made to represent god to creation that that is a noble noble thing, isn't it? It's beautiful. In one Babylonian account, it's another ancient Near Eastern text, the Babylonian god Marduk, he makes man from dust like we see in Genesis chapter 2, but then he kills a demon god and mixes his blood and makes man out of that. That's an ugly picture, isn't it? And, and so what is, that, what is that implying? It's implying sort of the, the, the evil of man. But here in this account, we don't see anything like that. We see a nobility We see God making man and giving this this incredible purpose. And then here's what Genesis goes on to show us. That only when man disconnects from God do we become dysfunctional. And here's what I'm saying in your life and my life. When you disconnect from God, because God is the one who brings function. Yes, you are created by God, but, but you cannot properly function. As a human being without him, can you live life? Yes, you can live life, but you're not properly functioning, right? My car, sometimes it drives, but it's not properly functioning, right? There's weird noises. There's things leaking out of it, smells, right? It, it, it's not going to go well. And, and so what if Genesis, what if the, what if the main thing that's trying to tell us is that you cannot properly function without God? And here's what I believe. I believe that each of us, as a human soul, you are an antenna for the divine. You are an antenna for the divine. You, whether you believe in God or not today, there is something in your soul that is always searching for him. There's something in, in your soul when, when anything comes your way, it piques your interest. Now, you might push it away, right? Because we like comfort more than truth. C.S. Lewis told us that. But there's something in your soul that's, that's drawn to it, that's open. It's because you bear his image. You're created in his image. Your, your soul knows what your mind doesn't want to admit, that you can't properly function without him. And sometimes your soul will, gra- will gravitate even then when your will doesn't want to. That's why Lewis says, I'm the most reluctant convert. I fought it every step of the way, but eventually it got to the point where I just had to, I had to recognize and acknowledge what was real and what was good. And so here's what I'm saying today. What, number one, I, I don't think there's any conflict between science and religion. I don't think there's any conflict. I, I don't think one negates the other by any means. I think God is the God of all of it. I think Genesis again is pointing to something even more important. Genesis is more interested in sharing with us the reality that we are souls made in the image of God that apart from him we cannot function properly. And as we move and we connect with him our lives will make more sense. Our lives will be healthier, and our lives will be more of what they are originally intended and created to be. You with me on this, church? Now, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. I think he's right. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know it was dark. Dark would be a word without meaning. See, even some of us today, the issues that we have with God point to God's reality. right? Some of us are like, well, why, why is there there's so much you know, evil and pain in the world? And C.S. Lewis even says, he said, I, I struggled with that. But then he began to dig a little bit deeper in that. and He said, why, why do I have this standard in my mind of what it should be like? Why do I have the standard of justice in my life? Why do I have the standard of righteousness in my life? If, if the world is just material and that's it, it's just cells and biology and atoms and quarks and that kind of thing. And there's why do I have this deep sense of how things should be? And he realized that his very questions, his, his anger, his frustration, his disappointment, his rejection of God actually pointed to the reality of God. Because he said that could not come from the material world. Because that is not built of the material world. It maybe comes from somewhere else. And I know some of us, maybe the questions that we have are actually things that point to the reality of God. Our sense of rightness, our sense of justice, our sense of how it ought to be. Where did that standard come from? And yet, don't we all have that? Wherever you're born, wherever you, we, we have some sense Of right and wrong. It's not perfect. It's not totally mature. It's not totally clear. But but all of us are like, like, no, things should be different. And maybe we all have that, church, because we all bear the image of God. And we know things are meant to function differently. We know it. We We can't totally always pinpoint it, but we know things are meant to function differently. And that's because God is the one who brings function. God is the one who brings order. That's powerful to me. Now, what's so beautiful too about Genesis is if you notice through all of the creation account, how does God create things? With his word. Did you notice that? Let there be light, right? doesn't have to wave his hand, doesn't have to do anything like that, just just with with his word. And what's so beautiful about the scriptures is that we get to understand that word more and more, what that, that really is. And the gospel author John says that in the beginning, referencing this count, was the word. And the word was God, and the word was with God. And the word came and dwelt among us. Now, here's what's so powerful to me about Christianity is not only do we have a God that is powerful, a God who creates, a God who brings function and order, but we have a God who is in passionate pursuit of you. We have a God that becomes part of the creation to redeem your soul. We have a a God who inhabits time and space, who inhabits our, our reality, and he comes, to redeem us. All the dysfunction that we have created in our lives and in the world through separating from God, from keeping God distant, from turning our back on him, all of that, the word of God, the one that created, comes back to redeem. It comes back to renew. comes back to save us. And that word is Jesus Christ. God is not indifferent to you today. He, whether you know it or not, He is in passionate pursuit of you. And every step closer to Him is a step that will bring function and health and meaning into our lives. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the great creator. But Lord, you're not a creator who created everything and then said, don't mess it up. You're one who created, who brought order. But then, Lord, when we messed it up, you also brought the path of redemption. Father, none of us function exactly as we should because none of us are connected to you as we're fully meant to be. But Father, as we connect to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, Lord, you redeem us. And one day, Lord, you will renew everything that is broken and messed up. And Lord, we look forward to that day with hope. And today, Father, we just pray that we could have a glimpse of that. Father, I pray some of us who, uh, man, maybe we've really struggled with this stuff. For some of us, maybe... Science and evolution and stuff we've heard in school or people have put it around. Maybe it's it's kept us from faith. It's just made it easier for it to be distant. And today, Lord, I, I pray that that those obstacles would be removed. And instead, Lord, I pray we could see the, the beauty and the wonder of creation, Lord. And we could see that that without you, there is no function. Without you, Lord, there is no purpose. And I pray, Lord, that we could see that Christ is the way back home. That Christ is the way forward. And we could open our hearts and receive him. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.